Romans 8, 9-11 You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I mentioned before, this is the third week of our new series entitled Victory. And tonight we'll see from this passage that life is found in the Spirit of God. But I want to begin by posing a question. What fills you? What gives you life? What is it when you wake up feeling empty or feeling like there's something missing or just feeling like you're hungry for something? What is it that gives you a high? What gives you comfort? What gives you peace? Is it your morning coffee or your morning technology checkup? Is it your job? <clears throat> Is it accolades from your boss or fellow coworkers? Maybe a relationship, a friendship. Does anything fill you? Do you find yourself looking in those places and still wanting more? Have you been there just opening up your phone to see if there are any red numbers ready to be checked and there's none, none on Instagram, no one's retweeted anything you said, none on Facebook, there's still 2,337 emails but you know you're not going to answer those. There's nothing calling for you so you can't get it. Where do you turn when you have a feeling of wanting Tonight, I hope to see from Scripture that if you are one who places your faith in Christ, if you are a Christian, a believer in Jesus, you are filled. You are filled already. Filled with the only thing that doesn't leave you wanting more. The Spirit of God. So, I want to start by answering what you might think is a really simple question uh, or obvious, but I don't think it is for all of us. The question of how is one filled with the Spirit? If I said that life is found in the Spirit of God, then how does one get the Spirit of God? How do you get it? That passage that Paolo just read talks about um, Christ being in you, and if Christ is in you, then the Spirit dwells in you. So in the terms I'm speaking of, that would mean the Spirit is, you are filled with the Spirit. But how? How are you receiving or filled with the Spirit? In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, the writer gives us a pretty clear answer to this question. He says, And Peter said to them, Peter's teaching the body of believers and those who have not believed yet. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Do this for the forgiveness of your sins. 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How does one receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? The writer here says it's, it's, it's really clear. This is how. You repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. We are baptized in the Spirit, filled, immersed. The Greek word for baptized there means to be immersed, to be dunked under. That's how we are filled with the Spirit. When we repent from our sin, God forgives us in the name of Jesus, and he gives us a gift. Now, you, I could preach a sermon on this passage, but, I, but I'm not going to, but I will point out a couple of things to keep in your mind when thinking about this gift of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Number one, it is a gift, which would indicate that it is free of charge, right? It's not a gift like the ones on the infomercials that if you pay the four payments of 1995, then they'll send you a free gift. No, it's a gift that, that really is free. So the Spirit is a gift and it's free. But also I want us to see that the gift that we receive in the Holy Spirit happens through our death. As we repent and are baptized, the Bible teaches this action, repentance and being baptized, is dying to our old self and being made a new person. We are reborn, and in this rebirth, we are given a spirit, the Holy Spirit, which is full of life. Jesus says, abundant life is what you receive. So how does one receive the Holy Spirit that we're going to speak about over the next few minutes? Repentance and faith yield the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit dwells in you, I want to show us two things from this passage. When the Spirit of God dwells in you first, number one, if you're taking notes, your mortal body has eternal life. When the Spirit of God dwells in you, number one, your mortal body has eternal life. You can leave that up on the screen if you want for a little while, Melanie, because we're going to talk about this in a few different ways. Um, First, in a really practical way, Uh, you know, in a moment ago when I prayed, I said, uh, God, would you give us as adults childlike faith? Sometimes we need childlike faith because adults get a little arrogant in their thinking, or at least I do. And sometimes it's really good to have a gut check from someone who has childlike faith and childlike questions. I got one of those yesterday from my son, Noah. Um, Your mortal body has eternal life, which means that although your body has died to sin, right? We know that through repentance, we die to our old ways. It is raised in the Spirit. Noah asked me a question last night. He came up to me and said, Hey, Dad, why, he was rubbing his neck, why doesn't, um, or, or doesn't God always give us what we ask for? And I said, um, well, sometimes. And he said, well, I thought when we prayed that God gave us what we prayed for. And mom prayed for my neck to stop hurting two days ago, and my neck is still hurting. And I stumbled, unfortunately, through trying to explain to him that just because we ask God for it doesn't mean we get it. And then I said, but there is a verse that says, ask and you shall receive. 
but it doesn't necessarily mean that everything we ask, and I just kind of got fumbled around in explaining the answer to this question. Like you might not think a pastor should, right? But sometimes those childlike questions are ones that when we consider, we don't have very good answers to. But as I recalled the passage that I'm preaching, you know, this same week, the very next day, today I'll be preaching this, I was reminded of this point, that although your body has died to sin, it is raised in the spirit. Your mortal body has eternal life, but it's an eternal spiritual life. Your mortal body is still fading away. So now I can teach Noah this morning, can say, hey, remember that question you asked me? Well, one of the things I forgot to explain to you was that even though God does answer our prayers and hear our prayers, not all of them are answered in the here and now. You know, Noah, some of our prayers, especially about our bodies, go unanswered. I said, do you remember our friend, Mr. Sean? And he said, yes. I said, remember Mr. Sean got very sick and we all prayed, God, would you please heal Mr. Sean? Heal his body. He said, yes. And I said, but remember Mr. Sean died. And he said, I remember. I said, see, God had given him a promise, right? That he had eternal life, but our mortal bodies still fade, they still get sick, and they still die. But there's a really important lesson that Noah didn't quite grasp yet, but you and I can. And that's that. In this new spiritual life that I'm speaking of, where the, the life that is found in the Spirit of God, there is this beautiful mystery in it that as our mortal body grows old, weak, ugly, gets wrinkles, can't do the same things we used to be able to do, can't climb the stairs without getting out of breath, can't run 10 miles anymore or ever in my case, as our bodies grow older and get weaker and uglier and sicker, our spiritual souls grow more beautiful. They get more wise. They get more knowledgeable. They place more faith in God now than they did before because he has proven himself more and more and more years. And so it's almost like uh, the curious case of Benjamin Button where as we grow older and uglier in our mortal bodies, our souls grow more beautiful because the Spirit is pumping life into them. And as we take our last breath on earth, we enter into just the very faint beginnings of eternity in perfection with God. That was the point where he went, yes, but where we can see and understand that God has given us life in the Spirit. Our mortal bodies, which certainly still get sick and fade and die, have the gift of eternal life. That's found in verse 10. Uh, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, um, most commentators agree that what Paul meant by that was, but if Christ is in you, although the body is still cursed to death, 
It's still going to die. Because of the curse of Adam, your, your physical mortal body is still cursed to die. Although that is true, the spirit is life to that mortal body because of righteousness. Life is found in the spirit. Your mortal body has eternal life. That's number one. <clears throat> when the spirit of God dwells in you, your mortal body has eternal life. <clears throat> it's also, uh, this is not number two quite yet, but a resurrected soul inside of this mortal body bears fruit. Think about that line. You know, uh, we're in the mortal body still, but we're saying that Christ has resur- the, same, the same spirit that resurrected Christ from the dead dwells in us. It fills us. And if that is true, then our resurrected soul will bear fruit. The scriptures teach us. Uh, they teach us a few things about this fruit. Number one, they teach that the fruit is not the cause of the resurrection, but it's a result of it. Here's why that's important. If the fruit is the cause of the resurrection, in other words, if you become kinder and more gentle and more faithful and more loving toward others, and then you are raised, that means that your actions are what caused the resurrection to happen in your life. If the fruit is not the result but the cause of the resurrection, then I did it. I caused myself to be resurrected by bearing this good fruit. It's important for us to understand that the the opposite is actually true, that the fruit comes from the resurrection, just like the fruit comes from the tree. The fruit is the benefit of others, and it is beneficial for your own sanctification. It makes us holy. Uh, the fruit is outlined in the book of Galatians, another of one of Paul's letters to another church and another city called Galatia. Um, it says this. Uh, actually, this is not, sorry, that's not the verse that we're, I'm going to read there. Um, but the, the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'll say those again, and I want you to give yourself a test on the inside. Um, if if someone were to ask you if this is true of your life, are these things bearing fruit in your life? What would you say? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the fruit. The resurrected soul bears this fruit. If, the, if life is found in the Spirit of God, then this fruit is found in the life that has the Spirit of God. So, um, although you die, like I taught to Noah, kind, kind of, although you die, you will be raised. The fruit is a result of the resurrection. Number two, skipping that Galatians verse. Number two, your perspective is changed. When the Spirit of God dwells in you, your mortal body has eternal life. It bears fruit. Yes, it will die. Yes, it will fade, but it has life. And number two, your perspective is changed. 
This one's kind of fun because living with a resurrected perspective is how we love others perfectly. It's how we love others fully. Living with a resurrected perspective is the only way that we can, without reservation, without needing anything in return, share the love of Jesus with someone else. Listen to um, and read along with me as Jesus tells a parable in the, cha- in the book of Luke. He says this, the beginning of the parable. He says, He said also to the man who had invited him, he's at a party, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Living with a resurrected perspective is the only way we can accept this challenge that Jesus lays forth. He says, if you want to have a party, don't invite all of the people that can turn around and pay you back lest your heart be corrupted and you start to do things only to get things back in return. If you really want to love someone, invite someone to the party who you know could never repay you back. He he lays out some of the least of these in their day. The crippled, the lame, the blind, the poor. A few weeks ago we talked kind of in depth about who the least of these might be in our culture. I'll just name a few, even though we won't preach another sermon about it. But how about when you give a feast, invite the refugee, the immigrant who's not in the country legally, invite the formerly incarcerated, invite the person who you never talk to, even though you see them all the time in your neighborhood. Jesus basically just says, don't be predictable. Christians who are living with a resurrected perspective, filled with the Spirit of God, don't make predictable decisions. They're unpredictable because they're inviting people you would never expect them to be seen with. Why? Because they know that the people who you you and I would expect to see them with can repay them. They'll invite them back over to their house. They will return the kind favor back to them, maybe even two or threefold. You see, unpredictable Christians living with a resurrected perspective are inviting people into their lives who on the outside, it would seem, provide nothing of worth to them. And the beauty of the kingdom of God is it is from these people that you and I have the most to learn. We learn more about our own poverty of spirit when we spend time with people living in material poverty. How could that be? It's very simple. Haven't you ever heard of someone who went to 
a foreign country and worked among the extremely poor, not the poor like they are in America. I mean the the poor where they are out in the middle of nowhere with no clean water, no food, they're starving, their children are dying. They work with those people. And so many times, what do they say when they come back? They had so much joy. I couldn't believe it. They had nothing, yet they were happy. Why? Because it is through those people, it is through people who are either, number one, less fortunate than us, or number two, less privileged than us, or number three, don't look like us, or number four, haven't given this, been given the same advantages, advantages of us, the least of these. It is through the least of these that we learn what we have in Christ. When Christians begin living unpredictable lives, inviting the least of these into their daily rhythms, which could mean exactly what Jesus is talking about here, literally into their homes for meals. He's talking about a feast. But it could be various other ways. You're inviting someone who would not be predictable for you to invite into your life. Because it is only through people who cannot give anything back to you in return that you find out how well you really do love. Jesus teaches us here also a lesson about our motivation for our love toward others. Do you ever sit and think about why it is you would go out of your way to do something for one person, but maybe not the other? Think about that for a second. Think about when, when was the last time you went out of your way to do something kind, unpredictable for someone? Try to identify one in your head. Now, consider what motivated you to do that. I've been convicted lately that I don't give myself very much time to think. I find myself filling all of my time with something, whether it's on my phone or on a computer or on TV or even even in relationship with my wife or with my children or with some of you or some uh, other friends outside of the church. I just am, all the time is filled. And the reason I was convicted of that because I don't have very much time to sit and think about why I'm choosing to fill my time with the specific people that I am. And I'm afraid that what I fell into was predictability predictability. I could predict who I would hang out with because I never thought about why I hung out with certain people and not with others. But see, someone who is living victoriously, you've been given the Spirit of God to fill you with life. This person does not act like that. This person is constantly thinking about what is driving them, what motivates them to show love to others. Because it is only in those moments that we think why we chose that person that we can consider another person the next time. So I want to invite you. I know I didn't give you much time in the sermon. I want to invite you during the response time in a moment to do that. Think about the motivation that you have for showing others. Because Jesus teaches us here that our motivation is key. If you are filled with the Spirit, the Spirit is dwelling in you and you're full of life, living as a Christian, 
then the motivation that you have to love others comes from the end of Luke 14, 14. You will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. The promise of the resurrection is not just a promise for you to hope in. It's a promise for you to remember as you are motivated to love others. This promise gives you the motivation to be unpredictable. And it's only because of the promise of being repaid from God that we can love people without any need for being repaid. When we love through our when we love through the lens of our future resurrection, so we're seeing this future resurrection as our motivation, we're loving through that lens, we can rest in the promise that God is being glorified for our selfless, in our selfless acts. And that will bring lasting joy. What fills you? What should fill a Christian? The confidence that God is being glorified in your selfless acts. That is what will bring earthly joy to your mortal body unlike any, any other thing that never quenches like technology or relationships or work or leisure, beach vacations. Because Jesus was raised and promises the resurrection for those who are in his spirit, we can love our neighbor, including the least among us who cannot repay us. Because Jesus was raised and promised the resurrection for those who are in his spirit, we can love our neighbor and be confident that his resurrection is ours as well. Church, Life is found in the Spirit of God. When you are filled with the Spirit, your mortal body has eternal life. Yes, it fades. Yes, it grows old. But you are looking toward eternity. This is how we do not grow weary in doing good works, as the Scripture teaches. But not only is your mortal body have eternal life, your perspective is changed. You are freed to be unpredictable in who you show your love to because you are so filled with life from the Spirit that it doesn't matter if they repay you. You have your eyes focused on the victory that Christ has given you and the filling of the Spirit that comes from it. So I release you, Christians, and I am released by these words to not search for ways to be filled, but to understand and believe that I am already filled. I have all that I need. And my response to that is to love others generously without expecting anything in return. Let's pray. God, you are good to show us your love by filling us with the Spirit. I'm sure there are some in this room who when 
Angela was speaking a moment ago about how awesome God is. Don't you just know how good God is in your life? I'm sure there are some who are questioning that, who are saying, what do you mean God is awesome? I have nothing to be thankful for right now. Maybe there are some whose lives lives feel stuck or miserable, who are hurt or crippled by fear. God, I pray that you would speak to those and all in this room very clearly that we truly have a reason to celebrate our awesome God because through repentance and faith we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit and life comes from the Spirit of God. Abundant life that fills us to the brim and overflows to all who are around us being motivated by the eternal life we are promised in you. Give us that perspective. In Jesus' name, amen.